0: Today's guest is Chanel Harris. Chanel is Alex Dyset's partner and Anthony recently had Alex on the podcast to discuss his retirement from pro cycling. So go and check that out if you haven't already. I wanted to interview Chanel to give us a deeper insight into what actually goes on in the background in a pro cyclist career and how they have built an incredible team. I think you could probably call it Chanel and Alex Incorporated where they dreamed of cracking the world around and against all the odds and anything and everything that could go wrong, they got to the start line that day in Mexico. But the parts I most enjoyed about this conversation were the spots where we spoke about how parents get to be role models for their kids, and that Chanel wants to show her little girl Juliet that big, scary goals, physically pushing yourself and mental toughness are not something to shy away from. Here's what you're in store for today.
1: A uh, friend I was working with, you know, said you should commute. It's it's far better than sitting on a tube for an hour a day. In my head, I was like, but I'm a you know young professional female. How can I get on a bike to ride to work? Because it just was sort of it was something only men in the office did. Um, and having a friend that kind of helped me through that, and then that was uh, around about the time I was meeting Alex, and he's brought me into the world of road cycling and. There was a huge community of female cyclists in Essex which really took me under their wing. Finding that community to tap into is is huge as well. I really wanted to do sub-five hours, but ultimately I was going, it doesn't matter as long as you cross the line, that's all that matters here. And my time when I crossed was (laughs) 5.00.00. Because that was the kind of standard of beauty that I, and it's been a massive shift just to even go actually this is your natural hair state and it's lovely and why don't you you know just and I'm starting to see more girls with curly hair embracing that and and bigger bodies and bigger bodies in sports so I think exactly that the more you see it the more you normalize it the more you normalize it the more you go actually that could be me Janelle, welcome
0: to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I'm so, so happy to have you on here as a guest. And I followed you guys and your socials for ages now. And uh, I have to say that you and Alex seem like this cycling powerhouse, you know, this wonder team. You're always so oh, pleasant
1: to each other. Isn't social media an awful little hellhole to go down where you see this little little 0.01% glimpse. Um, we definitely, you know, we're not, we're not recording when we're arguing or bickering with each other and posting about that. But that's really kind. Thank you.
0: (laughs) No, it is. It's really cool. And the pair of you have had some amazing achievements. Obviously, Alex is a world-class cyclist. You have navigated social media, his retirement and building a whole other platform. And you've had a, a baby, you know, and then you've attacked the error record. And I want to get into all of that in a couple of minutes. But... I'm really impressed at your sporting achievements and really And <laughs> that <I'm like, laughs> do I get athlete status now? I, yes, of course. <laughs> can I call of course myself an
1: athlete.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like osmosis. You're like athlete adjacent. That's that's kind of how I feel with Anthony as well. <laughs> yeah. So you recently did the London Marathon. Tell me all about it.
1: So I'll obviously I'll just drop in there because the marathon was a sort of subsequent thing that I picked up after doing the Ironman in August last year. And the whole reason I even did Ironman in the first place was because it's always been a bucket list to do a marathon. And um, I'm not I, I'm trying to reframe my language and I, instead of starting things like I'm not a runner, but I hadn't particularly enjoyed running for any part of my life. I used to sit and cry the night before school cross country. Like running has just not been something I've ever been super interested in but there was something about the challenge of uh, doing something you hate (laughs) and training towards it Um, and then off the back of actually doing Ironman I kind of knew okay I wonder what it would be like to do something as a solo discipline Uh, the opportunity came up as part of our work within Little Bleeders which is obviously the haemophilia haemophilia charity that Alex started and the haemophilia society and we didn't uh, we didn't have long to prepare which kind of made it more fun in a way you know diamonds are made under pressure (laughs) but we got told that we had a spot in it in January which was just as we were preparing to to leave Europe and come back to the UK permanently um so we're sort of in the midst of Alex's retirement as well he was just discovering how to drink beer properly and skiing (laughs) and so it all it's all just uh, the opportunity came and we took it with both hands and training for it as well because the, the whole training January, February, March and most of April we were still in Andorra on the ski field um, so it made it quite fun but it was something it was actually the first sporting event we've done together and that was quite neat after six years of supporting each other in various bits and pieces mostly myself with Alex but uh, to do something together was was quite fun it was a really nice entry point into this next phase of our life.
0: It's pretty cool, and I think um a lot of people. I've run a couple of marathons very, and I use the word running very loosely <laughs> as well. <laughs> I got around to uh two marathons, and I think people can start training too soon for something like that. So maybe you were, you know, you kind of hit the sweet spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm team slug. I, I, I exactly, <laughs> as you. I sort of running loosely. I, I plodded my way around. But I do think had there been a huge lead up to it, I probably would have, I don't know, not enjoyed it as much or overthought it or really committed. I went in quite loosely with I would, I really wanted to do sub five hours. But ultimately I was going, it doesn't matter as long as you cross the line. That's all that matters here. And my time when I crossed was 5.00.00 <laughs> Oh, that doesn't so, count.
0: You're not so, five point one or anything. It's you. You did it. You hit it. So I can't say I can't say sub five, but so. <laughs> and then, how did that work? Seeing as you had already done the Ironman, you'd already, you know, trained to run marathon distance. So were you now coaching Alex? Were you giving him the nutrition <laughs> advice? Was he? How is he taking it?
1: <laughs> oh, it was funny though because running was a running was a completely new sport for him. Like right from. He was starting from scratch. Uh, he spent his entire life, you know, avoiding running, um, avoiding any kind of additional walking. And he, we were lucky, uh, good friends of ours, um, Mike and Ellie Woods, they have a running coaching company. So we had very good advice from people who were actually in the professional running world prior to coming to cycling. So he started out with just like a four-minute run um, and he did that for, I think, a month and then built – onto that, followed Mike's advice. I, every now and again, was just giving kind of pointers on, you know, what to maybe what to wear, but in terms of nutrition, he had all the, he had the heart rate strap and the watch and he was the planner and the data. Whereas I was like, the great thing about running is you just put your shoes on and go. It's not the same faff as getting out the door with a bike.
0: It's just not the cycling mindset at all though, is it? I went, no. Anthony, Anthony again, he doesn't run really. He's a pure cyclist. But we went, he went in to get fitted for running shoes about a year ago and they had one of the treadmills where they, you know, they video your, yeah. your running gait. And Anthony apparently has perfect running gait. So I was like, "Oh, you can't well. even let me have this." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. I think what what killed me is that Alex's longest run before doing the marathon was twenty. No, it wasn't even twenty. I think it was eighteen kilometers. And, and he was like, "You know, he felt he felt good doing that." And I said, "Oh, you know, look, it's a there's a there's a big difference between eighteen kilometers and forty two kilometers." And I kind of felt like on the day he might go out too quick because, you know, he, he in his mind had a time that he wanted to do and he's just so competitive it's not in his nature to to not relax into something. And I thought that in the second half of the marathon he would really struggle and that's where I would be sitting there smugly going, like, kind of I told you so. I told you so yes. And I saw a friend on the way back round and she's like, Oh, Alex came through ages ago, he's flying and I was like, What? And he crossed the line. He was like, Yeah, I felt great. Like felt great the whole way round. Just really Enjoyed the whole experience. And I was sitting there going, I found that harder than Ironman. Like, I don't understand why have you taken to running? Like it's no, absolutely no problem. So just athleticism.
0: It definitely has to do with something like you mentioned at the beginning, this like reframing your, the language and how you speak to yourself and this kind of positive resilience or inner monologue that athletes have that I think me and you as kind of Joe Soap's, you know, we we let those creeping doubts in constantly. And again, I think the guys just seem to have that, you know, what are you doing to kind of help with those kind of thoughts as you kind of get through marathons or Ironman? And I know the first step really is to realize that they're happening because a lot of people don't even know, oh my God, I've just slipped into a really negative frame of mind here. But yeah, is that something that you've worked on hard now that you're kind of competing and signing up for these epic challenges?
1: I think what it was the tipping point for me that really changed how I looked at myself and how I spoke about myself was actually when I had our daughter and all of the kind of reading and education that we've done on on parenting and, and obviously you sort of make it up as you go along but you look to guidance and your children learn off how you speak about yourself how you treat yourself and a big part of that was uh, also how I talked about myself in terms of body image. And I don't, I used to talk a lot about it on Instagram um, and social media and sort of this body positivity movement. And eventually I got a point where I was like, I I can't be body positive every single day, but I can get to a state where like, I call it body neutrality, where you're just neutral with it and, and you're okay with where you're at. And I didn't want to, be looking in the mirror going, oh, you know, God, I need to go on a diet and I need to slim down, all these things that I've spent my whole life talking to myself like, and that, that was the tipping point and I was so conscious of my language around that and then I then started going, well, okay, you've always said like, oh, I'm not a runner, I'm not, not a cyclist, like I'm a hobbyist cyclist and I still would consider myself a hobbyist cyclist. I wouldn't say that I'm an athlete but it, that was kind of the point. I was like, well, why Why couldn't I do an Ironman? Like what is, what is stopping me doing something epic, like an Iron Man. I am the only person that's going to stop me from doing that. Um so sort of then starting to say, well, you know, I can, I can train for something. I I can commit to a goal. And it really was her birth that really kind of gave me the, I guess, additional confidence to do that because I wanted to, you know, I want her to grow up seeing us both do amazing things, to both see us both use our bodies for enjoyment um, in sport and sport and doing these sporting goals and endeavours, not to grow up seeing me go to the gym because I ate some cake and I need to burn off the calories. And that throughout my 20s was just a huge, I guess, weight on my shoulders all the time. And yeah it really wasn't until kind of coming into my 30s and getting older and, and having a child that that really changed. So I think far more conscious about how I speak in front of her, but in turn over the last couple of years, that's just really made me appreciate myself and my body a lot more.
0: It's amazing. And it's such a good cool message. I think personally as well for, you know, I'm I'm coming up to 40 soon. And in the last 10 years, what skincare <laughs> do you use? Because you do not look 40. <laughs> and I've got lights wow. everywhere here. <laughs> and in the last 10 years like that, I've started to push my body and appreciate my body for what it can get through. And what it can do. It can go out and it can hang in there with the lads on a Saturday spin. It can run a marathon. It can do epic swims. It can, you know, all of these challenges. Whereas before you physically look at yourself and you just look at the flaws, you look at it physically. Mm -hmm. How do you look? But now, as you said, you start to appreciate, Jesus, my body is amazing. I literally just put it through hell Mm. and I'm able to get up the next day, go for a walk. So resilient and all of that, like pushing yourself through, pushing yourself through. Like it's, you know, if we could just like bottle that and post it back to my, put it in a time machine, post it back to myself, you know, 15 years ago.
1: Oh, it's just a thing, isn't it? Hindsight's a wonderful mm. thing. But I think that mantra of like, also if you don't use it, you lose it. And mm. I know the sort of fittest, healthiest, like my parents and grandparents have all been so active and, and like have helped shape that, you know, your body's there to use it and and enjoy it. You know, don't waste all this time and energy in being disappointed in it and, and not seeing it for actually what it can do. And again, I think birth helped in that and growing it human from scratch <laughs> and then getting that human out uh, and that i think yeah. i think it's speaking to a lot of women who have this i don't know this euphoric sense after birth and go wow that like, that was incredible that i that i you know my body did that um you know god what like what else can it do mm-hmm. and it was actually it was a woman in my um antenatal group who the babies were four or five weeks old and she was we're sort of talking about the, the highs and lows of, of childbirth. And she said, Look, you know, I've been, uh, you know, getting married and, and having a baby. She said, like, All of these things are wonderful. But she said, There is nothing as euphoric as crossing that Iron Man line. And the way she spoke about it was such depth and intensity. And I was like, Guy, you know, why? Well, I want that. And why couldn't I do that? So it just fits this far fetched, insane idea just really quickly became a reality.
0: <laughs> yeah, usually those ideas are kind of dreamed up over too many glasses of wine, you know, it's kind of like, that's what I, yeah. when I was researching you and Alex for the podcast. I was like, this error record, oh. there's definitely booze involved when they decided oh. to,
1: <laughs> to go over this. <laughs> and that was, um, there's a brilliant line in Alex's book, which is, is coming out later later in the year. And it talked about the point of our life that we were at and everything was really good. It was, we were just in a very secure place with uh, his contract. He obviously had the jury when we just had our daughter and we were really content. And it, the sentence goes, and we went, you know, and we decided to go and ruin it all by holding an hour record in Mexico. And I was like, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, life's too nice at the moment. Let's just pop that bomb down. <laughs> and before I move <sighs> on to the hour record,
0: just to go back to kind of, you know, you seeing your your parents, your grandparents being very active. And similarly, with me. my dad wasn't very active, but my mom was, we have a sport here in Ireland. I don't know if you're familiar with it called hurling. It's kind of like... I actually do know hurling. You do know it. Okay, so you know it's absolutely, it's mayhem and it's very aggressive. And I, I grew up on the side of pitches. Like from the time I could stand, I was there and older kids remind me watching my mom play. I remember one game she was playing... And they didn't wear helmets at the time. And she got her nose broken in the middle of the match. And she came over to the sideline, blood everywhere. I think they put like two tampons up or something, went back on, finished playing the game. (laughs) Now, okay, that probably, you know, it's maybe a little bit of trauma around that. (laughs) But it like really showed me this like mental, physical, emotional strength that Mm. these role models you know, can show you not just talking about it, going out and doing it, you know. I'm really interested in getting girls into sports. And in Ireland in particular, we have a huge drop-off in girls once they kind of get to adolescence. The numbers drop out of school, you know, drop out of sport, like yeah, drops off a cliff. What do you think we can do differently? What can we do as people with social, you know, platforms or not even with a social platform, someone with you know, a love and a passion of being active and showing young women, young guys, whoever you are, that it's an amazing lifestyle.
1: Yeah. And I think that's important. Um, it's again, something since having a daughter, I'm like, I I hope she finds enjoyment in sport like I did. Um, I did gymnastics from the age of six. And then when I wasn't enjoying it anymore, kind of at that point, the cliff you know the tipping point um at 12 13 I switched to trampolining because I'd become tired of doing gymnastics I wasn't particularly good at it but I was really committed to it and I think I always credit having quite a busy schedule throughout my teen years as probably keeping me out of trouble because and the conversations I've had with Alex as well you know he was swimming and cycling all through his teen years and so he was going I didn't want to you know for us we didn't want to go out on a Saturday night because we had training on Sunday morning and makes you sound like a bit of a I don't know, not kill joy, but when you're committed to something and you're responsible for managing your time with it. That taught me a huge amount, all through university, through adult, like my you know working career, how to time manage, how to prioritize. And I hope Juliet finds that kind of commitment and that enjoyment in sport. And I would say like to get to stop that drop off from happening. It's like what's incentivizing? So for me, I had an amazing group of friends that were in the gymnastics and trampoline community when I was younger. I loved going to training. It was like a big social club. Um, so I think if you've got the connection of people that are there to keep you in it and you've got that enjoyment and you have got you get that sense of fulfillment, if you're training towards something, no matter what it is, if it's your, you know, a swimming race, a running race, a gymnastics competition, if you can see yourself progress and get better at something, I actually think that huge life lessons but again if you don't have the support structure if you don't have parents that are there to to support you into doing that to gently encourage to you know the financial side of it you know they've got to pay for things so if you don't have that support network how are we then you know helping bridge that gap if there are young females who are wanting to do something young females or males who are wanting to do something but can't and we've had loads of conversations about that in cycling and particularly the UK like at grassroots level how are children getting on bikes, how are they best supported to get on bikes if they're coming from an area where no one rides a bike, mum and dad don't ride a bike, they can't afford a bike, who's going to teach them to ride a bike, they don't have streets to ride a bike. So there's loads of interesting kind of conversations and there's loads of organisations and charities that are trying to help that particularly in cycling. So I've completely gone off on a tangent here. I forgot your original question, which was, how do we? And I don't have the answer to that. I know, it's
0: a million dollar question as well, isn't it? And everybody can kind of row in with their own opinions. And it is very difficult. And I do believe that social media has a big... Part to play in this that yeah look we can you know social media is you know gets a lot of slack for tots girls running around in you know bikinis guys with their tops off you know gym bros and stuff but it is a brilliant tool to encourage people we have a this uh, marketing campaign going on here in Ireland for directed towards females and it's if you can't see her you can't be her and it's like even if you're just doing your small part and you're out on your bike and you see you know a girl on her balance bike just you know say to her oh I'll race here or something just to kind of show her that you're there and that's that's I think that's what like people can do on a ground level but yeah it's so important sport can just give you so much and keep you out of trouble as well.
1: I think so as well and I love that saying if you can't see her you can't be here because picking up a bike just wasn't something I would have ever you know I, I knew how to ride a bike and I'd done small commutes when I lived in New Zealand but it wasn't till moving to London that a friend I was working with you know said you should commute it's it's far better than sitting on a tube for an hour a day and I was and I in my head I was like but I'm a you know young professional female how can I get on a bike to ride to work because it just was sort of it was something only men in the office did um and having a friend that kind of helped me through that and then that was uh, around about the time I was meeting Alex and He's brought me into the world of road cycling and there was a huge community of female cyclists in Essex, which really took me under their wing. And I didn't know anyone here when I first moved out. So finding that community to tap into is, is huge as well. And the visibility touched on social media um, does get a lot of slack and, you know, there are lots of awful parts to it for sure. Uh, but there's also, I found like for our generation being on social media, I'm, I'm seeing so many different bodies that growing up, I didn't see, you know, we grew up in the Cape Moss era where yeah. it was the size four to six straight, mm-hmm. straight bond hair. That was kind of your ideal standard of beauty where social media seems to be so much more celebrated for difference. So you, I, I you know, I, I, this is one of those stupidest examples, but I didn't, I straightened my hair for 15 years because that was the kind of standard of beauty that I, Held. And it's been a massive shift just to even go, actually, this is your natural hair state and it's lovely. And why don't you, you know, just, and I'm starting to see more girls with curly hair embracing that and, and bigger bodies and bigger bodies in sports. So I think exactly that the more you see it, the more you normalize it, the more you normalize it, the more you go, actually, that could be me.
0: Like you with your curly hair, I had a uh, fake tan addiction for most of my life. So
1: <laughs> Very Irish. we we'll there.
0: Hands up, Team Orange. <laughs> so I've been trying to transition out of that one myself as well. So yeah, it's, been, <laughs> it's been, been a challenge.
2: We are brought to you today by Athletic Greens, AG1. This magical green powder of 75 pristinely sourced vitamins and minerals supports your gut health, immune function, and it helps with energy, recovery, focus, and even anti-aging. These are a few of the many reasons that AG1 has become a staple part of my routine. First thing, every morning into a cold glass of water. AG1 saves me time and money by taking all the guesswork out of what vitamin stack I should be using to help optimize my health. So you can reclaim your health with convenient daily nutrition. It's easy. One scoop in a cup of water every day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link and all the details for this offer are in today's show notes.
0: To kind of. So you were saying you met Alex. Obviously, he's uh, an exceptional cyclist. And I know when I met Anthony, I I had never, I, I had kind of dabbled in triathlon. And you know, I was kind of just like as participation, not in any really serious capacity. I met this cyclist, and I was like, "What is this skinny guy?" <laughs> why is like <laughs> what is going on here why is he getting oh. up at half six every morning going out and doing these like you know five hour rides you know the attention to detail on absolutely everything I'm sure you got it when um obviously Alex has to because particularly you know for the hour record or something every single bolt every wire mm. and every any hair out of place you know this I actually saw a video online where you were training for your Ironman and Alex was kind of secretly wanted to change your saddle height and maybe add a disc <laughs> yeah. wheel. And I see Anthony doing that to my like He'll be adding wax to my chain for, you know, so I'm not losing watts and you yeah. know, that attention to detail. But that that preparedness does help. I think it's, again, in that kind of like mental resilience that you have mm. as an athlete and preparing and getting into the weeds. So if it's not too traumatic, I want to move into the error record with you. And if you could talk to me from the beginning about what happened, because for people who don't know, Alex and Chanel as a team decided to do this. Now, the record is now held by Filippo Ganna and Filippo Ganna had an enormous team behind him to go and break this record. And really, I don't want to say as much money as they could throw at it, but I mean, there was really no cost spared for Ghana's attempt at it. And yeah, start from the beginning. I know you said this, bring me back to that moment where you threw a grenade into your lovely, peaceful life. And what were the next steps moving forward from there?
1: It's sort of in order to do that, you've got to go right back to the beginning. So Alex held the R record in 2015 for a short 30 or 40 days before uh, Sir Bradley Wiggins took it. And Alex did that hour record, came off it, and felt that he had more to give, basically. He said it's, it's probably not easy is not the word to use, but he had more to give afterwards. He played it safe. Um, so for him, it was just like this this tiny little needle just constantly in the back of his head being like, you could do more. I think it also irked him; he didn't hold it for for very long. And so I met Alex a year after he had done that hour record. At the time, he's explaining like what a what an event it was. I'm like riding around a track in circles for an hour. I, I didn't really get it, um, <laughs> but now sort of seeing the, the prestige it holds in cycling and what it meant to him. Um, so it's kind of been talked about throughout our whole relationship. And it just he could never get a team to commit to it. Mobistar. obviously funded and and created the first hour record, which is a huge undertaking for them to do. Load of resource, load of money. And they were kind of like, we've done it now. And so in his last years with them, they weren't interested in in redoing it. Um, He then moved to Katusha Alperson, if you remember at the time, who was struggling with sponsorship and uh, their star sprinter who left mid-season. And so he could never get that team to commit either because they had far bigger problems. And when the temperature Katusha license was taken over by Israel, he started banging the drum as well um, to try and get Israel to support it, um, who sort of showed little interest in the beginning. So it kind of got to a point where Alex knew he was possibly coming to the end of his career, you know, in, within the next couple of years. And he didn't want it to be something that was just had a question mark beside it. He didn't want to be left hanging with, of any regrets about not going for it, and we both came to the realization that a team probably wasn't going to do it. So, if he wanted to do it, then he'd have to do it himself. Um you talked about things happening over glasses of wine where I'm sitting there going, Well, you know, we'll just do it ourselves. You just go out to a velodrome with a stopwatch, you do it, thinking it would be this easy. Even Alex, to an extent, was like, You know, we could do a completely watered down version where it's just that's all it is so that he has the satisfaction of knowing whether or not yeah 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 whether or not he could um whether he could break it for his own purposes Uh, so originally we were looking at doing it in December of 2020 and we'd started probably mid 2020 getting the wheels in motion to have it in Manchester um started looking at what you know what what does it take to pull an hour record together and very quickly realized it was far bigger than we had expected but we started looking at what a budget would be what other resources we needed to pull in obviously people who knew the event far better than we did quickly realized you couldn't just go out with the stopwatch it's a very official obviously UCI sanctioned event you have to have an uh, element of broadcast which adds a whole other dimension. Alex has going. I just want to ride my bike it. I'm going. At this point, I'm you know still, um I'm working about to go on maternity leave. We're you know, I'm six months pregnant. Uh, Alex, in amongst all of this, is not sure where his future lies with Team Israel because um, they hadn't renewed his contract at that point. So it was all just you know all just really kind of taking shape. Uh, twenty twenty delivered us the gift of COVID, which meant that. The original plans were kind of scrapped. They were getting off the ground, but there wasn't a huge kind of commitment that had taken place. Like we'd set the date, um, we'd started pulling sponsors in and having preliminary conversations with sponsors and getting things in place. Um, but COVID kind of took it off the um, off the page for a while. And then, like I say, we had Juliet, uh, Alex had signed a contract with Team Israel for another two years. So things were in a really good place. And... Just unfinished business, so we thought let's let's do it again. Uh, let's relook into it. Um, we couldn't do it in Manchester because the roof, I think, was being replaced, and Alex then said, our, our altitude maybe in Mexico was going to be the fastest place and give him the best possible you know best possible way to break it. It just it was the most enormous task we both undertook to try and find so over a hundred thousand pounds that we needed to to put this event on to kind of cover everything, you know, and that's was making, we had to source everything ourselves, where to find, you know, Alex had to find the fastest equipment, the fastest skin suit. He's doing this all amongst going to racing, training, trying to be a professional cyclist. The only way we could kind of bring on those amounts of funds was to take sponsorship, and sponsorship, you know, you have an exchange for visibility. We found sponsors didn't really want, Track signage, they were more interested in Alex's social media presence and the power that had. So at the same time, Alex, we were having to create content to put out um, to kind of pay for the hour record. And the whole thing just was, it was so stressful. It was the probably biggest thing I've ever taken on. I'm so proud that we managed to do it. Um, I went into it quite naively, not realizing the impact that the lead up it had on Alex's just training and I guess general sense of well-being Uh, we were working from sort of six seven in the morning till 10 11 o'clock at night Juliet was in nursery far longer than we wanted her to be we were taking the stresses of parenting juggling work Uh, my granddad died in amongst this like it was just it was the most horrible sort of two months prior to it but we got there you know we made it to the start line I just and, and I'm glad that he had a crack at it even though it wasn't successful I'm glad that got to that point where he could do it I think the one thing I that one that question mark he didn't want to have I now have a question mark going what how different would it have been if he'd gone into it like the 2015 hour record where all he had to do was show up at the velodrome yeah and people it's it's hard to kind of explain people like what what was it that was so stressful about what was it that was so busy and I was like every single day different challenges were unfolding every single day you know and the sponsors we worked with were amazing they were brilliant but they all wanted quite different things uh we Mm. were dealing with marketing teams PR teams uh Alex is still doing the equipment front dealing with about you know 15 16 17 different people about bike components like all of those they just took time and energy and we were just we were exhausted by the time we got to Mexico Uh, but I'd say we had the most phenomenal team we had we could only afford to kind of have a, a real skeleton team we had. So there were five of us, um, six, including Juliet with Michael Huxington. <laughs> She's um, team cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, she was. And she blessed her, She was great. Um, Alan Murchison, you know, people that did it for Mark Coyle, people that did it purely to, they weren't in it for the money. They were doing it for the event um kind of the support.
0: Mm. We actually had Alan on the podcast oh, last incredible. week. So I was uh, looking through the the YouTube stuff and I was like oh my god how many beeps how many beeps yeah. do I have to put in here for, for the swearing yeah. in the end he's he just him.
1: I was like <laughs> he's definitely a straight talker I love it he is he's like um, yeah calls a spade a spade as I'd say mitch is the kind of person. like I don't know how he popped up in our life but he's you know he's been such a great sounding board across so many different kind of areas and we were really lucky that he was able to come out and support on the food side of it. He did so many other things. But yeah, it was a, uh, like, I get almost like heart palpitations kind of thinking back to it and talking through it and what it meant at the time and just the, the insane pressure that Alex was under and kind of what happened in the days afterwards as well. Um, he was left in Mexico, he was left in Aguas Calientes um, through a whole debacle that was happening with the team. Um, so we got the whole our record team got on a flight to come back to the UK Alex was sitting there just broken you know broken that he hadn't pulled this off that he was left in this tiny city and was you know didn't know how he was getting home we ended up having to pay our Airbnb host to pick him up and drive him the six hours through central Mexico to get him to Mexico City to try and get back on the flight with us like the kind of the stress didn't really end just afterwards and I'll let him he goes into that in far more detail but
0: you kind of think, okay, the finish line—that's it. We can breathe a sigh of relief, and then you have more and more challenges to to get over, even before you get home. I yeah. don't know. I feel like every couple should have an hour record <laughs> just to see <laughs> <Make or break>. <laughs> <laughs> how you how you yeah. you know how you respond to each other under under pressure and things like that. But the the one thing that really stuck out to me uh, that you said in one of your videos afterwards that. You felt like Alex was at peace with it, you know. That, mm. as you said, that big question mark. He kind of had maybe a sense of calm about that he had gone out, and yes, it wasn't perfect. The circumstances weren't optimum, and I totally get that stress thing. Um, you know, it's of course it has a huge effect on your performance and your readiness for an event.
1: I guess the 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 peace with it we felt was there is nothing more we could have done. There was, you know, we threw absolutely everything at it so in terms of what we could control there was nothing more we could have given to it and I think he yeah said that he he left everything out there on the track he was happy with you know what he gave to it um he was happy ultimately happy with with the outcome and I get the silver lining of it all was the the money that it raised for little bleeders and the haemophilia society far surpassed what we kind of could have expected and ultimately the just the support that we felt from the community was just enormous. Um, really were blown away by no one seemed to really care that he hadn't broken it, it was the fact that he, yeah. had, you know, he had tried it and this whole, the reason we don't try things is because we're scared that we're going to fail at them and this kind of fear of failure stops us from doing so many things and that's, you know, I, I took huge inspiration from him, always have done and that in turn inspired, also helped with the Ironman Man marathon things that I'm doing because what's the worst that you you fail and and yeah he failed publicly which that message is also equally important to to give out to to children and young people like don't be afraid to fail it's part of life you got to you've got to try things so ultimately it was a success for the charity uh, it was a success in the sense that we managed to pull off a event that neither of us were at all experienced or had any kind of credentials for, but somehow we managed to do it. And, yeah, the AR the, record itself now is held by Filippo Ganna. I don't know whether anyone will touch it for a long time, but hats off to anyone that ever does it, you know, that ever thinks about doing it and takes it on because it's a, yeah, it was a mammoth <laughs> Task. Uh, I think
0: I think that Alex as well. You know, we we all know him from YouTube, and you know, obviously you feature very heavily as well. We kind of feel like we know you. Everyone was reaching so hard for him, and yeah, I just want to back that up. Uh, the fact that he didn't break it matters absolutely nothing, you know, because everyone just saw the struggles. It was all, it was all very documented, and everything that kind of could go wrong went wrong. You know, the long days and stuff. It, it, if anything, it just endeared everyone to you know him and you and the whole story even more and yeah if you talk to me about the the charity Little Bleeders and why you guys set it up what's Alex's connection because I actually didn't know about Alex's Mm. medical you know his his medical history so if you just talk about that a little bit because that's so interesting
1: yeah and it's almost astounding how um little people know about it because he's he's Alex the, the professional cyclist like he doesn't I don't think singing, dancing about it nearly enough because actually what he has done, who he is, is is incredible in itself. Alex was born at a time where his life could have gone one of two ways and he was so incredibly lucky um, that he missed blood products being contaminated by HIV, which is, you know, two years earlier, even 18 months earlier, right. he could have been tired with that brush. Um, life expectancy, so haemophilia... Um, and it's basic as is, is, uh, blood can't clot, and there's different severities of it. And Alex has the worst sort of possible; he's got the most severe form, uh, so his clotting factor is at zero. And when he was born, it wasn't picked up. Uh, he was diagnosed at eighteen months, and at that time, you know, children it wasn't uncommon for them to end up in wheelchairs with joint leads, with fused joints. Um, obviously, things like head injuries can be really traumatic. So I think parents kind of, they had a, you know, long, hard road ahead of them, but they they forged their own path with it. And one of the things that they discovered was parents, because they were so worried about the child getting injured, was that they'd rather sit them in front of the TV because they were safe there. You know, they were safe sitting on the sofa. They were safe where they could see them. And actually, like kids playing sport and kids playing active is so important on so many levels, but for haemophiliacs, it's even more so important because um, to be overweight puts more pressure on your joints and that in turn can create more bleeds. In the 90s, there were medical advancements in the medication, so it started being treated more proactively, um, and that's what Alex is on even now to this date. So every second day, he intravenously takes um, clotting factor, which basically gets his blood almost to a normal level and that's how he's managed to be a cyclist like any other cyclist and I think he felt that that message was so important for other young haemophiliacs is that you can lead an ordinary if not extraordinary life even if you are dealt this condition like yes you have to have respect for this condition but leading an active life is one of the best things you can do, provided you know not going into the boxing ring or maybe on the rugby pitch. But look, there's loads of sports that you can do that are really going to help manage your condition. And he said, you know, he would have loved to be a footballer because footballers were the popular kids at school, but he wasn't allowed to play They're football, the so that forced, yeah, yeah
0: But it forced yeah. him to kind of consider I don't think the sports that the girls. When I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't have the to guy with now. the guitar maybe <laughs> and the footballers but not the cyclists
1: <laughs> yeah and I think it, it forced him to, to consider a sport uh, he hadn't he found something that he was good at he'd constantly you know been told all the things he can't do so he kind of wanted to go out and show the world what he can do and through all of that he wanted to help you know help other young haemophiliacs and use his story to show them that it's not it's not all bad, but he is to this day like the only severe haemophiliac who competes in an able-bodied field and at elite level. Like still, you know, no, there are haemophiliacs who have competed in the Paralympics and have taken on huge sporting endeavours. But I think even that in itself is such an incredible achievement that it, you know, should be celebrated and acknowledged, but it's surprising the amount of people that are like, oh, what's it, like, what's that blood thing he's got? Like what is it? What does it mean? So our daughter, she's a carrier of it, so any children that she – goes on to have will be affected by it um and the funds that were raised through the R record meant we could financially support like because there's loads of families that obviously want to get their children into you know swimming lessons or tennis lessons some children require more one-to-one um depending kind of on their needs some can go into classes but a lot of parents don't have the funds to you know because we realized pretty quickly that we were sending out this message like put your child put your young haemophiliacs into sport get them moving a lot of families are like that's great but you know we're struggling just as a fam just as it is that's an additional cost to us so yeah to date we've supported 67 families and given them the funding every term to be able to you know archery badminton swimming we've bought we've bought bikes dance classes rock climbing so many different activities to help keep these kids active and it's astounding the the feedback that families given and in turn that we can say to those, anyone who donated to the article like that's what you've helped us achieve, which is magic.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to see those like tangible kids. Mm. Going to tennis, going to dance and thinking, wow, you know, and again it, it kind of goes back to that can't see me, can't be me, you know, mm. if you've got hemophilia and you're kinda of thinking, Okay, I need to, you know, and maybe your parents, maybe Alex's parents were aware in the fact that they maybe encouraged him to do sports, but I know if I had a had a kid I'd be like, you know, Taylor is a cotton wool, you know? So I'm sure mm. it's hard to to kind of move on from that. But if parents and the kids are seeing somebody like Alex yeah. out there and performing at like these crazy levels, it's it's so so inspiring.
1: And I think as well it was important, not just for parents and children, but for healthcare providers. So a lot of doctors, you know, because hemophilia in the 60s, your life expectancy was in your teenage years. You know, it wasn't that yeah. long ago how it, conditions drastically changed and to, to see where it's kind of come throughout the 80s 90s and 2000s like doctors now when families are newly diagnosed they will sometimes be funneled through to us and they're like you know when we were told about the diagnosis Alex was used as an example and I think there's that's powerful this if you can't see right. me you can't be me so they're going well there's there's a guy that's a professional cyclist you know it can't can't be all bad there's there's roads that we can take that are going to make sure our kid has a as normal upbringing as they possibly can
0: and so kind of moving on from that again and kind of what's next for you like is in your next big challenge I mean I'm thinking maybe we'll sign you up for ultra marathon with you know <laughs> circumnavigate the, oh. the circumference of the earth or something <laughs> because <laughs> you, you're not signing up, you're not messing, you're not signing up for like 10k runs or anything, you're going you're going for it. So what's next on the calendar for you?
1: People have suggested endurance running. I just, I still have, I've, and I've, as I've said, like using your body for enjoyment and I'm just not sure I'm going to enjoy like an 80 kilometer run, but I have actually signed up for a triathlon in Devon in a month, which doesn't leave me a lot of time for preparation, but that is going to be an ocean swim. So swimming, if you may remember I touched upon in the Ironman leader, it was not my strongest suit at all. It's been something I've been quite not confident in. And I purposely chose an Ironman because of it's calm. The Ironman Copenhagen had really calm lagoon waters. So I'm now doing a triathlon in open ocean with waves and sort of the next thing to tick off, like can I open water swim in its true form. And after that, I mean, we have a wedding to, to get through and. October and Oh fantastic. Just I moving back to the UK and you know, now with a toddler and I'm yeah. I'm working full time. So all of these things. Don't leave and a so lot.
0: you you're not gonna take up gravel riding
1: because Alex is kind of splintered off into the spirit of gravel now. No, so we're we're going we're actually going to Gripfest next week. I have a gravel bike that's coming to me soon. So I'm no okay. I'm quite I'm quite excited to try that. Just another, like, discipline of cycling I have never, never ventured into.
0: I am. I have a, a gravel bike, and I am completely hooked. It is. Oh yeah! Amazing. You love it. Be prepared. You will be told you're going out for a two and a half hour ride. You'll get lost, and you won't get <laughs> home for five and a half hours. So bring loads of food, loads of water. But it's so much fun. No uh, grow from cars, no close passes. You're just, it's just completely tranquilo. At
1: one with nature. Yeah, it's
0: absolutely amazing. It's so, so amazing. So just to kind of wrap it up, myself and Anthony run a Friday podcast called Newbie Questions, where cyclists ride in with their cycling problems. Now, it's mostly about equipment. We should actually get Alex on as a guest and do like an aero thing or something. (laughs) But would you believe it or not, we get so many relationship questions. <laughs> and oh, love that. I wa- <laughs> so they'd be like...
1: You become you know, like real- agony aunt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. Yeah. Exactly. It's like they're partners and I'm bored with their fitness. It's a tricky one because I think, you know, the average person will have a job like you. They'll have kids. Mm they'll have a house that need cleaning, they have dogs that need to get walked. And then, you know, the partner is expecting to kind of just skip out and spend like 10, 12 hours on the bike. Mm. And then what I noticed with Anthony when I first started going out with him is that you're, you're missing social occasions and, you know, you, you might have to miss the dinner with friends and the diet has to be on point all of the time. This question literally comes in probably every week, at least three times. How do you think as the space of a high performing athlete cope with that or how do you think Alex has made the transition for you better you know as in brought you into his life or you know how, mm. how do we how do these husbands or wives that are struggling to get their partners on board with their fitness goals how can we get them on side
1: how can we make that easier I think it was Probably, I mean, answer from the beginning stages, which would have been you know, it was it was Alex's all-encompassing profession. It was his job, and um, so that was kind of one part of it. I'd say the part now, and you know, it was difficult when he was still professional athlete and I was still training, trying to train for Ironman. Is you've got to sit down and really map out the week, your your expectations of each other, your expectations of each other's time, and kind of just being like really honest with I would say like I just don't feel like you've given me enough attention this week um you know so what are some what are some small things you know and just because he would be sometimes oblivious to it and i would be like you know I'm not asking for like date nights or loads and loads of time but maybe we could sit and play Monopoly at some point or you know maybe we could um go for that like 20 minute hike I know you're not supposed to do additional exercise that's going to impact your training, but maybe we could just walk down to the stream that's at the bottom of the road. Um, but I think that kind of clear communication, which sounds really corny, goes a long way. <laughs> and just being really honest—if you're not feeling like you've had enough attention or your needs haven't been met—then then say so. Don't build that up to a point of resentment. I guess an intern, like I was explaining why I was doing I and like why it meant so much for me to do this and that I needed. His support and and different ways like that he could support me. So I would get up um, in the morning and my Garmin would be laid out, my water bottles filled, my shoes ready, my bike ready, kit laid out. Like that was such a lovely thing that he was doing for me. That's romance. That's romance when yeah. you're
0: training for something.
1: <laughs> I think so. But in, in turn, like because I I was sort of looking after more of the domestic side, and I just. I don't know, I think in any kind of partnership, sometimes you're doing 50-50, sometimes it's 80-20. And as long as you've, you know, you're both on the same page with what you're giving and what's receiving and knowing it's not a permanent state of being, I didn't, it's not a permanent state of being that it was going to be 80-20, but I think it's just, it's that give and take. And I would say embrace it and try and join them as much as you can as well, like get on board with it. Um, I know I've spoken to a couple of, partners have been in that position where they're like I'm so sick of it I just wish it would be over and you know it's taking up so much time it's like he's having an affair with someone but it's not it's even worse because he's like (laughs) the the lycra and then I'm going what is there is there anything that can you go you know can you go on any rides or like when I swim at the lake at the moment Alex will bring Juliet down and we'll have a picnic there is there a way to make it to integrate family time into that training. So it's not such a isolated, like, this is my individual time. Is there a way that you can do it all together?
0: Yeah, it's kind of tricky, isn't it? Because I think when you become, cycling in particular, it can become almost obsessive. We've had so many, I think it could have been Alan Murchison who was on and Anthony was kind of saying to him, what advice would you give to, you know, leisure cyclists? And his advice was just chill. Like, you're not a pro. Yeah. <laughs> don't let this ruin your marriage. Don't let it affect your relationship with your children or break the bank or get you into debt. Just kind of chill. I mean, the advice that I always go with is don't come home and tell me about your new personal best of the local climb. <laughs> your other half probably just yeah. want to hear about your FTP and things like that. And, you know,
1: not if they don't understand it, if it's not part of their world, it's just like jargon. And I think it's more that, like, tell me how that made you feel. You know, if you come in the door bouncing and you're happy, that's an energy I'm going to take on and I'm thrilled for you. I don't, you know, FTPs and, and watts per kilo. I don't care about that. Like, just this, you know, like, let me buzz in with you. You did something great tonight. You've worked towards something that you've now fulfilled. That's awesome. Let's keep it simple, but just chill.
0: <laughs> just chill. And then also, of course, if. Alex is into cycling, Chanel is into knitting or fishing, go <laughs> and do that with the other person, go to the theatre, do yeah. something like that. But yeah, I do think that, I wonder how many divorces cycling has cost in our society in the last couple of years.
1: But I would also, I'd, I'd spin that round and go Wonder how many people have come together through a shared love of mm-hmm. cycling or I, even before having Juliet, our, some of our sort of greatest life Decisions have been made when we've been on a bike together. Some of our greatest conversations, because it's a time that we have that's just us. There's no other distractions. I really value that, and I sort of would have never, ever, like you know, prior to meeting Alex, have gone, oh, that'll be something I really enjoy doing with my husband, going for a bike ride. Like what? um But now it is, it is something, and I hope that continues throughout our life. So, and I know there's some people that have met through cycling clubs. there's so some people have met that it's a, it's a shared interest that they have. So who knows? <laughs> The divorce verse. Yeah, it is
0: wonderful. Well, Obviously, Alex cycles beside you because I just get to sit on Anthony's wheel. He doesn't He, <laughs> he doesn't uh, take it down in gear for me at all. So Competitive nature. Uh, still yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Yes. Chanel, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I'll have to get you back on and we can chat this some more. This has been great fun. Yeah, yeah, it's been so much fun. Definitely have you back on again. Thank you for joining me here on the roadman cycling podcast i'm thinking of having a coup and changing the name from roadman to something else but <laughs> we'll see how that develops over the next couple of weeks road fam road fam yes we were thinking roadman Avec Femme or something just to i don't know watch mm. this face anyway but um as i said thank you so much it's been an absolute
1: pleasure no problem thank you so much for having me